this summer at Holy Cross, we are diving into the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at the different types of Psalms and the themes that are contained in this book as a whole. We especially want you to learn about how we as believers can relate to the emotions in the Psalms and learn to pray through those in your everyday life. Join us now as we unpack another Psalm. Let's pray together while we're up. Lord, thank you. Thank you this morning as we come to your scriptures. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come. Come, Lord, and fill our thoughts. Come and fill our hearts and our minds. Come, Lord, and fill my lips and open your word that we might be led to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're continuing this week in our sermon series called Let's Be Honest, Praying the Psalms. We're going to spend the summer preaching through the book of Psalms. Obviously, there's 150 of them, so we're not going to get to all of them this summer. But we are going to look at, at a variety of categories or types of Psalms so that they might help us and that we might look at what they mean for us today. Now, I, I personally just love the Psalms. Because they're so liberating for us. John Calvin said that, that any human emotion that exists can be found in the Psalms. And so what that means is that the Psalms invite us, give us permission really to be honest in our communication with God, in our relationship with the Lord. And so the invitation God gives us as we read the Psalms, as we sing the Psalms, as we pray the Psalms, is to be real with him, to be vulnerable, honest, as we are in God's presence. The Psalms, of course, aren't just about us. They're really filled with deep, profound theology. And so in them, we find out who God is, and we're invited to know what God is like. And I think when we hide them in our hearts, whether it's a phrase or a whole psalm, they become tools for our spiritual lives. They become weapons even when life comes at us, when spiritual battles engage us so that we might know how to engage in these things from God's perspective and from the invitation he gives to us as his people. Now, this week, as we read a minute ago, we're in Psalm 103. Uh, this psalm is one that is meant to help us really understand who God is. So you might see the foundation we're building last week, Psalm 1, the different kinds of people. This week, Psalm 103, it's a psalm of praise. And we've intentionally put it at the beginning because the psalms are so filled with praise of the Lord. This one is written by David. It's full of good news. It's full of joy. David is lost in wonder, the wonder of knowing God, the wonder of being loved by God, of being known by God. And, and he's giving us a picture of what God is like. Now, one of the great things about reentry that we're in is like each week, I feel like I'm seeing old friends I haven't seen for a while. You've probably had that experience, right? And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a woman I hadn't seen in like a year or however long it's been. And it didn't take very long before she was sharing about life. And it really only took a very short period of time before she began to tell me about her new grandson. Like everything else sort of faded from the background. And and you know what happened next, right? Out came the phone and she was showing me pictures. She couldn't help but talk to me about this one whom she loved. 
and who she was marveling over. And and that's really the way Psalm 103 functions. It's like David has his phone out and he's showing us pictures of the God whom he loves and the God who loves us and what this God is like. So we'll walk through it just a little bit. As as it begins, David actually is talking to himself. Anybody talk to themselves out there? A few, especially our extroverts, right? You're probably processing out loud all the time. That's okay, right? The Bible does it, so you're okay. The next time somebody says, are you all right? Say, yeah, David did it. He talked to himself in the scripture, right? He begins speaking to himself, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Three times he blesses or praises the Lord. And right there, that's the indicator that this is really important. Blessing God, praising God. He's encouraging his own heart. He's worshiping the Lord. He's adoring God for who he is. And why does he do it? Because there's power in praise. There's deep power when we praise the Lord. There's power for our lives. There's power for the world around us as we praise him. It changes us. It changes the atmosphere. And so praise is foundational. Now, let's look at some of the things that he praises God for. First, it's that God is a forgiving God. I I don't think... I don't think I personally will ever get over the fact that God is a forgiving God. I don't mean that, that, well, I just, it just completely overwhelms me. It overwhelms David. I mean, I mean, think about who David is. David is a man who's experienced the depths of what it means to be a broken and human and sinful person, right? David's committed adultery. David has committed murder. David has done some really hard and bad things. And yet, it's forgiveness that he speaks about in this psalm that's been called the gospel within the Bible, like a Bible in itself. And the gospel foundationally is all about forgiveness. It's about the fact that God wants peace with you and me, that God wants our relationship to him restored. Forgiveness, it's that door in. It's like first base. You never really get past it, but you'll certainly never get any further if you don't know the forgiveness of the Lord. And so David marvels over it. That's why he repeats it over and over throughout this psalm. Verse 9, he says, God will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us. Notice he's talking about us now, not just himself. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We desperately need God's forgiveness. And and if you're here today and you've never experienced the forgiveness of God, it's available. Keep listening and you'll hear how. We need forgiveness for the things that we do, that we don't want to do, and we shouldn't do. We need forgiveness for the things that we should have done that we didn't do. For those blatant, those blatant things where we ignore what God has said in the scriptures. And those little things 
They're not really little, but we like to think of them that way. Those habitual kind of sins, those major issues. David rejoices because God forgives. And we have it so much better than David. David was looking forward with only a partial picture. We get to look back and see this full spectrum of the wonder of God through Jesus and in the Gospels. Like, we get to see how it all happens. David knows God forgives. We know how God forgives and the depths to which his love will go for you and me. That he enters into the world, that he dies on the cross. God's not winking at anyone's sin. He's not saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's very costly. It cost his son his life. It, it's It's bad. And unless you come to terms with the depths of what sin really is to God, you'll never really understand how good the good news is and how truly loved you are kind of despite you, despite how you behave on any given day. And so there's this beauty. David says when we enter into it, right, we're redeemed from the pit. I mean, think about the deepest place you could sink. If you've ever been in a place of darkness, of depression, of guilt, of shame, that's the pit. And of course, death itself is a kind of pit that no one can climb out of. And yet he says, God redeems us from the pit. He crowns you. He doesn't just let you in. He crowns you. He crowns you. That's, that's, that's royal language. That's how, how remarkable he sees you. You're crowned with his steadfast love and his mercy. The only thing that would keep us from that is our unwillingness to receive it. Like, that's what a hard heart will do. Keep you from being crowned from his steadfast love and his mercy. But, but David says when we do receive it, God takes away our sin, capital S, and our sins, little s, with an S on the end. How far? As far as the east is from the west. And, you know, scientists say they've postulated that, that, that the universe is 10 billion light years across. How far is the east and the west? It's farther away than that. That's how far he removes your sin from you. And where does it go? It goes to his body on the tree in some remarkable way. Every sin you've committed, every sin of the world can find its place of forgiveness and removal in the cross of Jesus. And that's why the cross can never become ancillary. It can never become unimportant because it's the center of space and time. How far does he remove the sins? Straight into the cross and Jesus doesn't give any any back. Like once you give it to him, there's no take backs. So if you've been confessing that same sin for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, let it go. It's gone. Like he doesn't remember it. You keep reminding him of something that he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because there's a place for it. And that place is in the very body of Jesus on the tree. So, so David marvels over this, this God who forgives, but, but why else? And I mean, uh, it, I think it was, um, 
Charles Simeon who said a thousand pens couldn't get to the depths or the end of this psalm. So I won't try to do it all. I just want to focus on a couple of things. So he forgives our sins, but he's also this God who helps the needy. And that's really good news. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The oppressed are those who are in need. Right, Those who cannot help themselves, who can't get out of the fix that they're in, who can't change their circumstances, or those who've been pushed down by others, slammed by life, in desperate need. Now, in the Old Testament, the oppressed were usually seen to be widows and orphans and refugees, people who had no power. The poor were considered to be the oppressed because they had no way to get out of their situation. They often had to sell themselves into slavery to deal with the oppression, right, of the heavy load of taxes or debt, the things that crush us in life. And they'd often be in that place for their entire lives with nobody to advocate for them. And so to the person who might be tempted to get ahead at other people's expense, especially at the expense of the needy, God says you, you really better think twice about that. This is good news. See, God has a heart for the powerless. God has a heart for the weak. He keeps his eye on the helpless And when others are putting them down, he sees and he knows. He doesn't ignore. He's got a heart for them. And there will be one day, and the scripture is so full of this. There will one day be, everybody say, biblical Biblical. justice. Justice. Now, that's important that we link those two together, right? Because in our political situation, justice has gotten a bad name for some. Biblical justice is all through the book. It's all over the place. The psalm writers often cry out in laments, and we're going to look at that as a category, lamenting before God. They cry out in lament over the injustices of this world. Why does it seem that evil gets ahead? Why does it seem that the good are put down? Now, I don't want to get too far ahead, but... They say things like, why, O oh Lord, do the wicked prosper? So, so let's put it into like everyday now language. Why does the dishonest business person seem to get ahead? Why does the ruthless woman succeed, right? Why does the cheater seem to get away with it? Why does the cruel person have all the advantages? Now, the Bible's answer, and it's all in the prophets, and it's in Jesus himself. Jesus has a lot to say about it. It's called the day of the Lord. The day when he returns, the final reckoning, the judgment, when Jesus is no longer veiled, but he's, he's seen for who he truly is. King of kings and Lord of lords. And on that day, every knee is going to bow. I mean, this is going to be the only posture that makes any sense is a posture of complete adoration and wonder. Like your heart will erupt, especially if you're one who loves him. Your heart's going to erupt with the wonder of seeing him face to face as he is in all the beauty of his holiness and all the wonder of what it means to be Lord of lords and king of kings and of you being his child, the one whom he loves. It's going to be remarkable. 
We say in the Nicene Creed every week, Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. It'll never stop. So the wicked may prosper for a short season, but David says this in verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone. Think about blowing on a dandelion. That's what he's describing here. And it's gone. This place knows it no more. God's going to bring everything to light and, and he'll see it with an impartiality. So that there's no hiding, no excuses, no slithering away, no greasing the wheels, none of that. There will be justice. All will be made right. And that's good news. That's really good news. May not be good news to the person who takes advantage of those folks, but to the person who has been taken advantage of or who cannot fix their situation. And a lot of people live that way their entire lives I mean, this is a word of rejoicing, and this is a word of deep hope. So if you're among the needy, like something in life has you down. Could be mental illness, could be an addiction, could be circumstances beyond your control, could be a violation that occurred against you when you were a little child. And it's just like all of life has been under this. There's going to be a day when every tear is wiped away. There's complete freedom. It starts in this life, but it will ultimately find its total and complete expression before this king who is marvelous to behold. So why is it that God forgives? And why is it that God is for the needy? Well, it's because of who he is. Again, David pulls out his phone. He goes, let me show you another picture. Let me show you something more. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. That's forever. God is totally consistent. He's totally consistent, and he's completely loving. He is a loving father. Um, I, I remember talking with somebody once who was describing their home that they grew up in. They had a bunch of brothers and sisters, and the dad was um, really, really uh, just, like, highly volatile. And the kids, like, if he was happy, they could get away with just about anything short of total mayhem. But if he was unhappy, like he'd fly into a rage just like that. And so what they would do, they figured this out over time, these kids, these brothers and sisters, is they would take a look at dad when he got home from work. And based upon what got out of the car, like if he was happy, they would all greet him enthusiastically. And they could see just by the way he got out of the car that they needed to make themselves scarce. And he said, even the dog knew the difference. Like, so the dog would go hide in the backyard. God is not like that. God is nothing like that. He's totally consistent, completely loving, kind, and good. Listen to the words David uses to describe him. 
merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in a steadfast love from everlasting to everlasting. His love never changes. His love never fails. And of course, the great proof is that he gave us a picture of himself, right? The invisible God became visible as he came into the world in the person of Jesus. And you look at the way Jesus engages with people, mercy, compassion. He's with the fallen. He's with the lost and the broken. He's with the sinners and the prostitutes. Everybody else will say to people, there's no way they could be loved by God. That's the person Jesus would come to and lift up in the gospels and go, this one is the one I came for. She's my delight. He's the son of my choosing. You see it when he weeps over the grave of his friend Lazarus, not because he couldn't deal with death, but because he knows what death does to us and the way it darkens our lives and the way it harms us and brings so much fear into us. You see him when he's with the widow of Nain, she's lost her only son, right? And his heart absolutely breaks as he goes to her. This is who God is. This is what he's like. He's given us a picture. He's broken out the cell phone and he's done it in the person of Jesus. One last place where you see Jesus weeping in the gospels. He weeps over Jerusalem because his people won't receive him and repent. That's what brings tears to his eyes. It's not your sin. It's when you're unwilling to turn from your sin. That actually grieves his heart. So what do we do with this God who's like this? What David says, bless the Lord. Everybody say, bless the Lord. Lord. Like praise him, praise him when it's good and praise him when it's bad. It, It doesn't mean that like you aren't supposed to like own the bad part. This is not some kind of denial. We're going to get to lament. We're going to get to the imprecatory Psalms. You're going to see like, I mean, there's some real gritty stuff in the Psalms. But whatever happens, praise the Lord. Why? Because praise changes things. It absolutely changes things. I've I've got a a mentor who's a bishop who's really wise. And and, and this is a man who's not just, you know, a religious fear, like knows the Holy Spirit, knows the Lord. And he said one of the things that he believes has happened in the midst of this past year, like it's awesome that we have online worship. I'm super thankful for it. But you know what you probably were tempted to do is to be a passive observer in that. Maybe you didn't, but somebody probably did. (laughs) What he said was that in the midst of the pandemic, the great Like all the stuff that we've seen culturally that's happened that is like really a mess, it's not about politics. It's about the church not gathering to praise. When we praise, we literally push the darkness back. And you can go to a culture that is not Christian and you can feel the darkness because there's not worship of the living God going up on every corner in every town across a nation. And, and that, I think, is part of why I'm so glad you're here today and why it matters that we come and we worship. Because when we join in praise, God inhabits the praise. He's enthroned upon the praise. And the darkness in this area... On these islands and across the way, the darkness is pushed back. 
That's why it matters coming to church. Not just that it feels good. I love when it feels good. We're, we're battling darkness as we praise the Lord. Whether you know it or not, that's what's happening. And so as we go through the rest of this service, and, and this band of lovely people leads us, enter in with them. You might do it quietly, you might do it exuberantly, but let it be a praise of the, this God who forgives, this God who is for the needy, this God who is consistent as a loving father who loves you, forgives you, and is delighted that you're here today in worship with your friends and your brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Oh God, you're good. I love when you're with us, Lord. You're always around, but I love when you're letting your presence be known. And so, Lord, would you fill our hearts Would you fill our praises for the person who's come in burdened today, Lord, with sin and sorrow and shame? Would you lift that off them even now? Let that find its place to the cross and let forgiveness and peace settle in. And Lord, as we worship, would you push the darkness away? Because when your light comes, there's no room for the darkness. So we praise you. We praise you, we praise you, we praise you. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen.